0: Amen. You may be seated, and good morning. If I've not met you, my name's Steve. It's my privilege to be the pastor here. Once a month, at the end of the month, we offer this thing called pizza with the pastor. Pastor's not so great, but the pizza's really good. And the best part is, is Tammy, the pastor's wife, right? And so... Uh, we've got one coming up the end of January. would love to have you come. Go to events.dscchurch.com. Get signed up for that. That would be great. This morning, we are back in our study of the book of Revelation. So I would encourage you to turn there, but I, I need to do something first. And this is something the Lord has laid on my heart for about the last six, seven months or six, six seven weeks. And I don't know if it's just... You know, going into election year, we talked about that last week, and uh, thinking back to what all that happened. But today, I, I first want to recognize, but then secondly, I want to pray over all of our first responders. So our our police, law enforcement, fire, EMTs, doctors, nurses. You got something that you do as first responder. Our own security team that is here to keep us safe. Would you stand? Right? We would first of all like to recognize you. Thank yeah, just stand up. That's awesome. Thank you. And uh no stay standing, stay standing, because here's the thing. Uh we know that you guys are the ones who are that in the front face of dealing with a lot of craziness that we don't know about. We want you to know that we, we love you, we appreciate you, and we want to pray for you because we know you have an extremely difficult job. So I'm going to invite everybody to stand. And those of you that are around, some of those that are standing, I want you to go lay hands on them. We want to pray for them. We want to... Pray and ask God will give them grace, that God will give them wisdom, that God will give them discernment and strength. All right, let's pray. Holy Father, we are so thankful for the people in our society, for the people in our church community who serve their fellow human beings in a way that when others are running away, they're running towards. And they're dealing with things that most of us would rather not ever have to deal with and god today we just want to lift them up to you we don't know what 24 holds we don't know what tomorrow holds but father we know you and we ask that you would protect them we pray god that you would give them wisdom that you would give them discernment that you would give them god in those moments of of, trying to to figure out what's going on, God, that you would just give them wisdom from above, that you give them strength to deal with the things that they have to deal with. And God, I pray that you would use them in those moments as light of reflection of you as they live Jesus in their jobs. So Lord, we commit them to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all so much. Uh, and I hope that maybe you put them on your prayer list, right? We, we do want to remember them. So if you got your Bibles, we're in the book of Revelation. We're chapter 12. Today we're gonna deal with really kind of verses 1 to 5. I want to read down to verse 9 uh, because this is this is such an important piece. And one of the things that we've seen in the book of Revelation when we're not moving the story forward, right? We're in one of these. Parenthetical sections that he's giving us wisdom to other things that are going on. And sometimes it's stuff in the past, and sometimes it's stuff in the future. And this is one of those things. What he's laying out for us is the history of the spiritual war that has taken place since the fall of Satan that plays behind all of this. That is also about what the whole book of Revelation is bringing to a close. And so today we're going to kind of deal with the the past part of it. Next week, kind of how that plays out in the future. So let's read uh, in uh, verse 1 of of chapter 12. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, and the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. And she was with child, and she cried out, being in labor and in pain, to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns, and on its heads were seven diadems, and his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth, and the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she gave birth, he might devour her child. And she gave birth to a son, a male child, who is to rule the nations with a rod and her child was caught up to God and to his throne then the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God so that there would be, she would be nourished for 1,260 days and there was war in heaven Michael and, the, and his angels waging war with the dragon the dragon and his angels waged war and they were not strong enough And there was no longer a place for them found in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Now, what you've got to understand, and and I think that if we could get this, it would actually change our view of history. It would change our view of what's going on in our world today. But what John is reminding us is that behind everything that has played itself out and everything that's going to play itself out, there is a spiritual battle that is taking place. And he starts with reminding us who the players in this conflict are. So he starts here with a great sign appeared in heaven. Now, a sign is a symbol, It's a metaphor, it's a picture of a true reality. Now, we hold, as a church, to a literal interpretation of Scripture, which obviously allows us to go and to look and to say, well, this is a sign, this is a symbol. It also allows us to take what is clearly figurative language, interpret it as figurative language, and to look for the meaning behind it. The thing he tells us about this sign is that it's big, now you think about it, big could be both physically big, but it also could be big in importance. And my sense is, is that when he says that this is big, this is mega, the whole idea here is that it is big both in size. For instance, here's a woman who's clothed with the sun. The moon is under her feet. Uh, we have then the serpent whose tail grabs a third of the stars of heaven. Eh, big in size, right? It's, it's big. It was a great sign. Ah, but it's also big in importance because really understanding this unlocks the history of all that has played out since the Garden of Eden till now, and what will play out until Jesus comes and sets up his kingdom, and oh, by the way, takes the devil and puts him in the bottomless pit Hallelujah. for a thousand years. Yeah. So here's the players. The first is this woman. A great sign appeared in heaven a woman clothed with the sun, the moon on her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve. Stars, And she was with child, and she cried out, being in labor and in pain to give birth. The woman represents Israel. Now, some would say, no, it represents Mary. That's why if you ever go into a place, especially Catholic, where there's artwork and you have Mary, a lot of times she's got the sun, the moon. It kind of comes from this. But he's told us this is not a person. This is a sign. This is a representation of of what's going on and when you think of the sun and the moon and the stars obviously it for, for those who know the Old Testament, it points us back to Joseph. It points us back to his dream there in Genesis 37 as the children of Israel are just starting out, right? It's just right now that the 12 sons, and he says this. Now, he had a yet another dream related to his brothers and said, lo, I've had still another dream. Behold, the sun and the moon and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. It's a picture of Israel. Also, one of the things that we see in some of the Old Testament prophets is that Israel is, is expressed, it's displayed as the one who is pregnant and giving birth to the Messiah. In fact, we see that in the book of Micah, a verse we often recite at Christmas but as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you one will go forth to be ruler in Israel. His going forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Therefore he will give them up until the time when she who is in labor has born a child. Then the remainder of his brethren will return to the sons of Israel. This is when they are going, they're in captivity. And so he, he's not talking about Mary there. He's talking about the, the Messiah is coming through Israel. We also see a little bit later, uh, next week we'll get into it, down in verse 17. So the dragon was enraged with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of her children. So obviously he's, he's not talking about Mary here. He's talking about Israel. And Israel, because Israel is through whom The Messiah is going to come. That's the key. The second character, the second piece here, is in verses 3 and 4. And then another sign appeared in heaven. And behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads, ten horns, and on his head were seven diadems. The tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth, and the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she gave birth, he might devour his child. The dragon is Satan. Now again, it's a symbol, it's a picture, which is really important, but clearly we look down in verse 9, and the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan. So we know who it is. But here's the point the focus there of the red dragon is not on a physical description of Satan. It's about his character. It's a symbol. It's to remind us he's red. He's a murderer. He's been a murderer since the beginning. He's a dragon. In in Old Testament literature, the dragon was the ruthless animal that that only destroyed. That's who Satan is. But that's, you know... It's his character, it's not his appearance. You know, so this idea that, you know, Satan runs around, with the little red guy with little horns and, you know, pointed tail and pitchfork, I, is, is not Satan. And it's important that you not think of him that way, because we're looking for something ugly. Uh, Exodus, or not Exodus, um, Ezekiel 28 I think would suggest that Satan, Lucifer, was maybe one of the most beautiful things God created. Paul in 2 Corinthians tells us that he masquerades as an angel of light. You know, we're looking for something ugly, and but no, he's a, he's a deceiver. He he comes across to, in, in beauty. Now, there's another part of this description here that I at least wanted to mention. Uh, He had seven heads, ten horns, and on his heads were seven diadems. That's almost a sermon in itself. I don't have time to deal with that part. We're going to come back to it in in chapter 17 because he's going to go into detail as to those pieces. So we're just going to kind of push that off for a little bit. Um, But here's the thing that I need you to understand about the dragon. The dragon's focus of his his wrath is not the woman, but it's the child. End of verse 4. So that when she gave birth, he might devour the child. This is the spiritual battle that is going on. We'll, We'll get into it in just a moment. But the enemy, Satan, has tried to usurp God from the beginning of time. And how, he, how it's going to be played out is him trying to usurp, to stop, to destroy the child. Quickly, the child, uh, obviously, is Jesus the Messiah. Now you'll notice he doesn't say another sign. Uh, this is very specifically who he is. And she gave birth to a son, a male child who is to rule the nations with a rod of iron. That takes us right back to Psalm chapter 2, uh, a song that John has quoted often here in the book of Revelation, this is Jesus. He shall break them with the rod of iron. You shall shatter them with earthenware. This is the Messiah. The next player that we see then is down in verse 7. And then there, uh, and there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. The dragon and his angels wage war. So who's Michael? Well, Michael, again, it doesn't say a sign, doesn't say a symbol it's just who this is michael is in charge of the heavenly host for god he's the one who fights the battles uh jude 1 talks about him being the archangel uh many believe that lucifer and and michael would have been of the same rank in the angelic realm when, when satan fell so those are the players in history And what he's reminding us here is that the dragon, the dragon opposes the child. And when you begin to think about this, what you realize is that from the beginning of time, what Satan, when he fell in his heart, he wanted to be worshipped like God. He wanted to be like God. And so from that moment on, he has opposed God, and he has opposed God's plan. So how is God going to redeem mankind back to him? It is through the Messiah. So that is why this war has played out. And so you think about how the dragon, through all the years, and and you look at the Old Testament, how the dragon has tried to destroy the lineage of the woman, of the Messiah to keep him from coming. So, I mean, you go all the way back to Genesis 3, right? They sinned, they rebelled, God is pronouncing judgment. And he says this, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He will bruise you on the head. How do you kill a serpent? Whack it in the head. You shall bruise him on the heel. That was the prophecy. That's what Satan is been trying to thwart so how how did all that start to play out well adam and Eve have two sons one is cain who oh by the way is very rebellious in his heart doesn't listen to god brings a sacrifice of his choosing not of god's it's, it's the ungodly line he has a brother abel 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 is the godly line. He chooses to do what God asked him. He brings the acceptable sacrifice. He, listened, Cain kills Abel. Let's destroy the godly line. God gives him another son, Seth. Godly line's going to go through him. Oh, by the way, you get down to Genesis chapter 6, and we read about the sons of God cohabitating with the daughters of men, and a lot of description or debate about what that means. But what was happening The dragon is trying to corrupt the seed of the woman, kill the line to the Messiah. So God puts Noah and his family in a boat, sends a flood, kills everyone. They get out on the other side. A few generations later, God taps a man by the name of Abraham and says, okay, Abraham, it's going to be your descendants. It's going to come through you and Sarah. Sarah. And then what happens? <laughs> they don't have, they don't have a, a son. And then Abraham goes to Egypt and afraid they're going to kill him to get Sarah and says, oh, she's my sister. And twice in, in their life, two men take Sarah to be their wife. And God has to supernaturally step in. Satan's trying to corrupt the seed. Finally, they have this, the child, Isaac, right? This is where it's going to go. Uh, it begins to play out. You, you fast forward 400 years later, they're in Egypt. God's going to bring them out. What does Pharaoh do? Pharaoh was kill every male baby of the Jews. What's, what's, he's trying to destroy it. You think of, uh, you think of the book of Esther, So now they're in captivity and Haman now puts out uh, this decree under the king of the Medes and the Persians that you can kill, rob, and destroy every Jew. Wipe them off the face of the earth. It's It's a spiritual battle behind it all. You think of then later on, after Moses brings them in, David is chosen, and now it's not just going to be the seed of the woman, and it's not just going to now be the seed of Abraham, but now he even narrows it down. It's the seed of David. It's going to be your child who is going to come and going to rule and reign. It's going to sit on your throne. And what most people forget is that in that, that kingly robe, do you know that twice it got down to just one person? Jehoram, who was the son of Jehoshaphat, when he became king, killed all his brothers. It was down to one. Two generations later, uh, his grandson dies. His mother, Athalena decided to kill all that she wanted to be in charge. Remember, little Joash was the baby that was hidden away. It was down to one. Well, that was all pre. Then Jesus comes. You think about how many times the dragon made attempts to kill Jesus. So he's born in Bethlehem. Wiseman told him he sends every baby boy be killed. Uh, They go down into Egypt. They come back. Jesus is at Nazareth. He's teaching. What do they try to do? Push him over the cliff. Uh, John chapter 8 multiple times. They took up stones to stone him. I truly believe that on that day of crucifixion Satan thought he had won. In fact, to make sure he's dead let's go stick a a spear up his side. He's got to be dead. And what Satan didn't understand was in that death, God was providing atonement for all of mankind and oh by the way, three days later, he's going to rise from the dead. But the enemy has tried to kill Jesus over and over. So notice, again, what the end of verse 5 says. And her child was caught up to God and to his throne. All right, so now Jesus conquers death, right? We've got the Messiah, and now he's gone up to heaven. So what does Satan try to do now? Well, Satan tries to attack the woman. Because if there's no Israel, there's no kingdom. And you begin to watch how through history, so 40 years after he ascends up to heaven, the Romans come in under Titus and almost nearly annihilate the Jews. And if you look at the next 1,900 years over and over, of course, for us, it's not all that recent history. As Hitler came on the scene. Let's annihilate the Jews. That's why 1948 is such a significant piece to all that is going on. It's a piece of, of this spiritual battle as they become a nation again. I mean, I truly believe that what we see going on over in Israel today, the calls of, you know, anti-Semitism, of, of trying to kill all the Jews, let's wipe out the nation of Israel, right? We think, it, you know, we think, oh, the politics and all that. No, no, no. It's a spiritual war that goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden and it's going to be played out until this time forward because now they're going to Satan's going to try to wipe them out again and we'll talk about that next week right when we pick up with verse 6 and how this is going to play out in the tribulation time but you just think of what Jesus said when you see the abomination or desolation and you're upstairs don't go downstairs and grab your jacket just run you know, his whole point is, listen, you're on the field. Don't go back to the house. Just run. This, this is what he's going to talk about because the Antichrist, the, the, the beast working under the authority of the Satan, is going to turn on the Jews. And oh, by the way, not just on them, but you look ahead to verse 17 because God's going to uniquely protect Israel, the woman at that time, So so the dragon was enraged with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of her children. Well who's that? Well to be honest with you it's us. Because through the Messiah God provided so that the Gentiles could come into this picture. So I gotta gotta hurry here. Um, Here's the part that I hope that you'll see. Right, First of all that so much of what we're seeing play out in our world today, I think a lot of what we're seeing play out in our country today is not near recent politics. It is the historic long war between God and Satan. And Satan is trying to, to, to destroy. Israel is, always has been, always will be a prime target for Satan just destroy why because if there's no Israel then there could be no kingdom but the church the body of Christ the bride of Christ we got to understand we're a target too and it amazes me how many Christians when you start talking about this just they're either oblivious or they don't want to talk about it now, I get it because there's some people that go overboard, right? It's like every time you get a flat tire, oh, you know, Satan did that. Can I just tell you now, I don't think Satan cares about tires. You get a broken and your refrigerator quits. I don't think that's Satan, right? That's just we live in a fallen world and tires go flat and refrigerators break. But on the other side, to be ignorant of the fact that we are not in a spiritual battle remember what paul says in ephesians 6 therefore be strong in the lord the power of his might for we don't wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities and powers you know I, we talked about this last week and you know going to this election year and and so many i think we're trying to wrestle against the things of the here and the now we've got to understand this is such a Bigger piece of what's going on. It's a spiritual battle that's taking place. That's why Peter told us: be sober in spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And how does he attacks us There's four P's, and I again I've got to be really quick here. But I need you to understand: one of the ways he attacks is persecution. Now, to be honest with you. We have very little persecution as Christians in America. Uh, Somebody saying something bad on a social media is not persecution. It very well may be coming. but Persecution, that's one way. It's the physical, emotional. You know, a lot of times, again, we're in America. We think this is the whole world, and we don't face it. They tell us that in the 20th century, in that 100 years of the 1900s, that there were actually more Christians that were martyred for the cause of Christ than in the 1800 years leading up to it. Persecution. But that's really not affecting most of us today. This is how he attacks us. The second P is our passions. Love this world. It's good. Man, there's good stuff out there. You know, follow follow the things of this world instead of following Jesus. John put it like this in his epistle. Do, don't love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from this world. The world's passing away and also is lust, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. His whole point is, listen, the enemy wants to get his focus on this world, this life. We live for another day. And the enemy, if he can get us sidetracked to living for the things of this world, and we quit living for those eternal things, we quit living trying to live and to share Jesus. And yet, literally a hundred years from today, the only thing that will matter of my life and of yours is did we live for Jesus? Is not the stuff, the houses, the cars, the uh, all those things—they won't matter. So how does he attack? He attacks by passions. He also attacks by false prophets. False prophets and teachers, and I tell you, they're everywhere. And the interesting thing today is, you know, it's, it's, it's easy for all of us to, I think, identify the false teachers that are just heretics, You know they're all over YouTube, right? You can go see them, right? They deny Jesus as the Lord. They, you know, deny the Trinity. They deny the Virgin Birth. It's just simple, right? Write them off. It's the ones on the other side that I think give us way more a problem. they've got some truth, but they mix it with air and the point to the truth just enough to hook you in and then they start taking it away in a way that is it's not, it's not biblical it's not true we get our eyes on the wrong things and they're all over YouTube also do you remember what Paul said for the time will come he's in days that's what he's talking about the time will come When they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires, who will turn away their ears from the truth, will turn aside the myths. Man, it's happening everywhere. we got to keep our eyes on Jesus. And anything that comes along that's going to pull us away from that, get us passionate about things that are not eternal things, are not of the Lord. the fourth way, the fourth P is is pride. Pride. We we like what we like. Oh, not me, not me. Uh, Okay. I'd like to think it's not me too. (laughs) But let's be honest, we all like what we like. I cannot tell you in the last 12 years as I've had the privilege of... Serving in leadership with our association of churches where I've had pastors either quitting or ready just to throw in their towel because they got a church that's going down. It's on the backside of its life cycle. Numbers are shrinking. They're not seeing anybody get saved. They're not seeing anybody getting baptized. They're not seeing anybody get discipled. They're stuck in their old ways and they want to bring change. So how can we reach our community? And the people in their shoes in their pews are saying no we don't like that that's not what we want remember what uh, remember what Paul said in Philippians do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves Don't merely look out for your own personal interest, but the interest of others. Folks, Satan's alive and well. There's a spiritual battle going on. He he hates the bride of Christ. Yes, persecution, that's how he does it. Funny, persecution often is, is a thing that actually the church thrives in. We're not facing it all that much. We may. But i tell you what we do face. Passions. Caught up on the wrong things. False prophets. We start listening to somebody. It's got just enough truth. It sounds good. But man, it, it starts taking us away. It starts causing us to, to not be in alignment with the community God's put us in. Pride.